Welcome to episode 35 of No Shot Clock, the Chicago High School Basketball Podcast. Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times here with Joe Henriksen of the City Suburban Hoops Report. I think last week, or maybe the last two weeks, we've skipped on the housekeeping, so I'm just going to kind of go through that quick. Please rate and review us on iTunes if you get a chance. Um, We're also available on Stitcher. You can't rate us there, but you can listen. I know that's an easier way that some people like to do it. And also, I put the call out on Twitter for questions for the podcast because we like to hit those but i just wanted to mention it on the podcast if you guys have a question send it into my email it's mobrien m-o-b-r-i-e-n at suntimes.com and we will answer it uh we got, we got a ton of them today we're going to get to those after we do our two takes which we do every week which is what we're going to start out with so joe yeah mike my first take is really to my i guess my readers and twitter followers who have taken my Belleville, Althoff, Morgan Park countdown a little too seriously. For those who don't follow uh, my Twitter at Joe Hoops Report, I I have basically since the first week of the season periodically provided how many days it is until the Morgan Park Althoff matchup, which isn't officially scheduled. It would take place in the 3A title game on the final day of the season. Now, I know these two teams, and this is for all you listeners, this, I know that they're not unbeatable. And in March, anything can happen. But since the day the season started, right up now, up till now, the first week of February, these are the two best teams in Illinois. And if, and, and it's an if because it's high school basketball and teenage kids, both these teams play at their respective highest level. The many contenders that are out there, and there are plenty in 3A this year, but no one is beating either one of these teams if they are playing at their highest level. There are some serious contenders, particularly Fenwick and Mike Smith here in the Chicago area, you know, Peoria Manuel and DeMonte Williams in, in central Illinois. But if these two are at the top of their game, everyone else is playing for third. So I'm just having fun when I put the countdown out there. I think it's 40 or 39 days now. But uh, I've just been doing it, and people are tweeting at me, like, killing me because I don't think anybody else can ever win. But uh, it's just a matter of having a little fun with what is what are the two best teams in Illinois. Yeah, I mean, this dovetails nicely <laughs> into my, my first take, which is also something, you know, it's late in the season. People believe in their teams and don't watch a lot of other teams, and that lends to a lot of this partisanship. Um, Evanston. First off, anybody who listens to the podcast knows this for sure. And anybody who I think has been reading me the last few years, I mean, the idea that I have any sort of bias against Evanston is ridiculous. I'm My biases are I prefer public schools. I think that's fairly well known. I prefer schools from old Illinois towns. I prefer schools that play in old, cool gyms. Evanston literally meets all of the criteria for what would be my favorite type of teams there was some history and tradition too yeah exactly i mean evanston's great there's nothing better i mean i was joking with someone the other day about i if i created my own conference it would be like thornton evanston waukegan joliet central you know all the teams with the old gyms that you know you have personal space in (laughs) those wider bleachers from the old days and that kind of stuff so anyway there's no bias against evanston however I don't understand this. I guess I do understand. There is this siren call that Evanston is underranked. 
And I, I mean, it's just, there's no basis in fact for it. None at all. We're going to go through it now slowly and carefully of why Evanston is ranked number six, because I've, there's too many emails too much on Twitter. Okay. Evanston has beaten five teams this year that at some point have been ranked Mount Carmel, Notre Dame, Young, St. Ignatius, and Niles West. Now, you could say that St. Ignatius and Niles West were just my bad calls. <laughs> so, but fine, give them credit for beating those teams, even though St. Ignatius and Niles West really aren't very good. Now, they've also beaten Dunbar, Kentucky, which the last I checked, they were number three or number four in the Lexington, Kentucky area or whatever, so that's fine. Um, that's a nice win. Evanston has also won 12 consecutive games, and which is, you know, a nice streak. By no means, though, the best or even the best in the in the top, you know, 10 rankings right now. And they um, lost to Morgan Park by 12. Evanston is unbeaten in their conference, which isn't having a great year, but, you know, undefeated in the CSL is tough. So that's Evanston's resume. Now, the team closest to them in the rankings, right above them, is Thornton. They have won games against seven teams that have been ranked. That's two more than Evanston. And they have won 18 consecutive games. That is six more consecutive games than Evanston. Now, you could take some points off out of the seven because it's two teams they've beaten twice, Lincoln Way West and Bradley Bourbonnet. But even if you remove the, the two wins over Lincoln Way West and the two wins over Bradley Bourbonnet, that puts them at five which is the same amount as Evanston. And I don't think you could come up with anyone that thinks that Evanston's five, Mount Carmel, Notre Dame, Young, St. Ignatius, and Niles West, are better than Thornton's five, Lincoln Way West, Bradley, Marion Catholic, Young, and Joliet West. So that's apples to apples right there. That is why Thornton is ranked ahead of Evanston. After that, it starts to get silly. Fenwick's beaten nine ranked teams. Remember, Evanston's beaten five, and there's not any double-ups. Simeon has beaten seven ranked teams. Remember, Evanston has beaten five. And then you look at marquee wins. Evanston's best win, I guess we'd have to agree, Joe, is Young? Yeah, Young and, you know, in-state for sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, the only out-of-state win they have that anybody's excited about is this Dunbar-Kentucky win, which seems like a decent team. And Simeon and... You know, Morgan Park, and they, they, they have these wins too. So does Curie. Um, Simeon's best win is Morgan Park, which is clearly better. Their second best win is Bogan, which is clearly better. Their third best win is probably the Rainer Beach, you know, team out of whatever. They got two wins over teams in Tennessee that are decent. They've beaten a good Bloomington team in Pontiac. Fenwick, their best wins are St. Joseph, Simeon, and Bogan. That's three wins better than anyone Evanson has beaten. Um, Curie is next. They have beaten six teams that have been ranked. That's one more. They have two significant out-of-state wins, as opposed to Evanston's one. They beat Thon Maker's team, um, a nationally ranked team, you know, down in Kentucky. And they beat a Kentucky team similar to the one Evanston beat, the Tilgman Kentucky team. And then they have three wins better than anyone Evanston has beaten. Simeon, Kenwood, and I guess Manuel and Young probably about a toss-up. So they have two wins better. Morgan Park, if you want to get to that, they've beaten 11 ranked teams. That's six more than Evanston. So I know people might think I just sit down on Sunday afternoon and just kind of 
spit onto a page, who I think is good. But I have a big book. Joe's seen it. A lot of people have. With every decent team's entire season, every day I, I go through it. And, you know, I'm doing my very best. Some would say, I think Joe might even say, I use these facts a little too much. This is completely factual based. And when it comes down to a tiebreaker, yeah, you go with who passes the look test, who has, you know, the more potential. And guess what, Evanston fans? That's why you're as high as you are. You don't have the resume of some teams below you right now if you look at it as far as quality wins. But you gotta love Nogel Eastern. You gotta love how deep they are. I mean, I can come up with a lot of teams that have a better win than Whitney Young right now. You know, I can come up with a lot of teams below that have multiple wins better than Whitney Young. In fact, there's a team, or, uh, or sorry, North Londo, that's beaten Whitney Young twice <laughs> and, we're, and better than Evanston did. So anyway, it's a long rant, but that is why Evanston is ranked where they are. They're number six. They haven't beaten anyone above them. And they haven't beaten anyone below them until you get all the way down to number 15 young. And so the larger thing here is for everybody, when you're upset about your team's ranking, look around the rankings. If you haven't beaten anyone above you and almost no one below you, you're probably lucky to even be ranked where you are. Whew. A lot of data and time invested in the Evanston breakdown of the, really the argument is between if they're ranked fifth or sixth, I mean, I. Oh, no, can't. no, no. These Evanston people want them too. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. you can't put Evanston <laughs> yeah. too, but uh, they're about, you know, I, I I don't, I know fans go into these rank. I mean, they, 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 they love them and they're fun, uh, but they aren't the Bible and. <laughs> There, there's debate. There should always be some debate with them. Now, if Evanston's ranks, I don't. I, I think they're about where they should be. Could I spend a lot of time and debate and argue that they should maybe be five? Sure, but I, I mean, I. It's not. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's they are. They're about where they should be. So, and and don't think that's anything wrong with being ranked sixth in in, in the Chicago area. So it's they've got. Plenty of opportunities to show that they are are better than the aforementioned one through five. But um, my second take probably doesn't appeal to the masses uh, of this podcast, but I'm providing this take anyway. The Little Ten Tournament, and people have already maybe questioning what in the world you're talking about. It, it, it's a very appealing part of high school basketball in Illinois. Where is the little town? It's a group of schools and communities. When you when you've reached the far edge, the far far edge of the western suburbs, it's the small towns that dot the state map about fifteen to thirty miles beyond the edge of the western suburbs. But this tournament is as authentic. I tweeted this this weekend. It's as authentic as it gets for high school basketball in the state. This is the longest running tournament in Illinois. It is now ninety seven years old. And it's remained the same. And by the same, I mean, by and large, the schools haven't grown. They haven't added an east or a west or a north or a south to their town or their school district. It's still the small town with the small high school with, with no football. There's actually been some consolidation of schools, actually. Uh, the enrollments have stayed relatively the same. And the schools, the one that's most likely recognizable to basketball fans would be Newark. They've had some great teams decades ago and recently, 
uh, state championship type quality teams in the small smaller classes. There are only 185, 180 students. You've got schools like Serena with 230 and a school like Pawpaw. Yes, there's a school named Pawpaw with 75 students. But, you know, the gyms are the same. They're tiny and cramped. Everyone in the town and school knows what the other teams and the other towns and schools are doing and how they're playing. So with so much that has changed in this sport culturally and from a basketball standpoint, this tournament is just pretty darn cool. And they just wrapped it up this past weekend, and Newark won the thing. And I just wanted to make mention that it's, it's pretty cool, uh, this little 10 tournament. Nice. Yeah, I know um, a lot of people, a lot of fans enjoy it. Um, it's technically out of my coverage area at the Sun Times, right. so that's why I have never been able to enjoy it. And uh, I guess we'll get into that. Take for next week on why I have not gotten to enjoy some other things this year, but the, the take I want to go into next is Geneva. Um, saw them for the first time this year on, uh, was that Friday or Saturday night? I'm getting confused already. Uh, Saturday night, I think, against Batavia. And, you know, my take is look out for Geneva. I was very impressed. I, um, I think they've got a, just a super high ceiling and that's even before you look at their road through, you know, to get to a super sectional. I mean, this team, they've got five guys who can score in multiple different ways. They move the ball incredibly well. They rebound incredibly well. I mean, yeah, Batavia isn't the greatest test in the world. This is a team they'd lost to earlier in the year when they had some injuries. And I know I was, I'm guilty, you know, when Volbrecht, the big guy, got hurt, I wrote this team off, you know, kind of like what happened last year, you know, when they lost Pace Temple, the guard. But I guess sometimes that's a good thing for teams. You know, that's what Phil Ralston, the coach, was talking to me about after the game. You know, they were also without Bennett Fuzak, their uh, current star, for a month because of an injury. And, you know, the other guys have learned how to score. Other guys have picked things up. And right now, boy, this is a team that coming into February – I think they are going to be on a huge roll once they hit the state tournament, and I don't see a team that can stop them right now on either side of the super sectional. Um, yeah, I, mean, I you know, last year uh, I thought the guard play would catch up to them. It never did. They proved me wrong and, and advanced to the state tournament. When I think I picked against them a couple times. Uh, and, well, I mean, if you go in that little magic book of yours, uh, Mike, you'll find that they don't have any real quality ones either. But that didn't hurt them last year either. So, you know, the league was stronger last year for sure. The St. Charles East and, you know, Larkin has been a big, you know, really a disappointment record-wise. Uh, their big matchups this year, they've they've fallen short in against the Rockford Boylans and the DeKalbs of the world. So, yeah, I mean, I, I – um, I've seen them. I like them. The road is favorable. Uh, they're better than I thought they would be, especially after losing their big fellow. So, uh, again, the question—some of the question marks remain the same as I had last year, but they—it didn't seem to matter last year. So, yeah, you—you're right. They could have a deep run uh, this March once again. Uh, you know, just as last year. You know, I liked their point guard. Um, he's a junior, Matt Johnston. Did a lot of things. Tough player. Kind of wonder if they couldn't have used him on varsity last year, honestly, um, as another ball handler. I mean, I have no idea how good he was as a sophomore. But, yeah, I don't I don't have any 
immediate problem with them. And you're right about the quality wins. You know, they've beaten Larkin twice. But, you know, those lo- those losses you mentioned were without key players. And everybody's back now um, mm-hmm. on this team. And I think they've won. They lost to Boylan middle of January in, like, double or triple overtime. And that's their last loss. But, yeah, they haven't even lost to a great team, you know? So it's kind of hard to gauge. Yeah, I mean they play. Boylan's pretty good. I mean, uh, and DeKalb is really good. I saw them last week. I mean, DeKalb and Geneva are, are, are two teams that could really, you know, when it comes push comes to shove in March, be the teams we're talking about uh, out in the far west. You know, I know in the far west suburbs, uh, DeKalb's not really a suburb, but they feed into that those teams. So it, it's it's reminiscent of. I mean, I think we talked about. I mean, I, from a talent perspective. Nate Navigato last year just elevated Geneva, uh, and and that's why we talked about Geneva. But you know, I, I think that success and that run last year certainly it, it just really charges up a, a basketball program when you have something like that take place, especially for a program that it's never happened. You know, for years and years and years. Oh, you're so and, right. Yeah, th- those kids all know what it takes now. Yeah, you know? and and they and they and they love it, and it and it feeds into the energy and the program and the crowds, and uh, you know, it, it's just a different vibe in a program when they uh, kind of walk around a little bit of uh, a little bit of a strut, you knowing what you've done and what is possible, and so yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting to see, especially with the road that they have, what Geneva's capable of uh, come March. Yeah, I think for those of you who haven't seen them, think of. Basically, the precision of how Batavia plays, maybe with the bodies of Niles Notre Dame, <laughs> and you've got an idea of what Geneva's got going on. There isn't a superstar, but they don't take a bad shot. They got size, and they they can really get it done. So anyway, that's yeah, and, I, and, and if you look at that sectional, Mike, real quick, I mean, yeah. I, Geneva and DeKalb. After watching DeKalb and, and having seen Geneva, they are the two best teams in that that sectional. Now that. The Rock Valley sectional has two subsectionals, and then the other ones all the Rockford schools. But Boylan is 3A this year. So it, it is not out of the question that if, for Geneva to return to Peoria. Uh, you know, there's a Jacobs, there's a St. Charles East, and Larkin is still in there. But there isn't one team, especially in the other sectional, that just jumps out at you and says, yeah, it'd be tough for them to beat. And there was there were those teams last year. Yeah, I mean, Lake Zurich would put up a good game against them in the Super, but they have a lot more size than them. St. Viator would be okay in the Super. You know, maybe a Kona, but yeah, it's really hard. You know, the toughest thing is probably they might have to beat Larkin for the third time this season in the regional, Um, and that's always a difficult task because Larkin can play well, um, we hope. (laughs) They've had a disappointing year, but all right. Questions? Yeah, let's move on here. Let me get my these questions up. Thanks for sending them, everybody. We got a bunch of them, so we're gonna go right through. The first is from George. He's a big St. Joe's fan. I think he was even took the trip down to O'Fallon. Um, he's got a couple questions. The first one: There's been a lot of Joe's versus Fenwick uh, angst over the last few days since. Uh, sorry, this isn't George's question. This is me. Uh, since Mike Smith won the Lawless Award over Nick Rakasevich. Um, 
The Lawless Award is a completely flawed war award. I just want to say that. I've always got issues with the Lawless Award, so don't get too upset about it, St. Joe's fans. But anyway, I think that's why George is asking this question. He says, why was the Fenwick at La Lumiere game canceled this last Saturday? Um, I don't know if you know specifically, Joe, but from what I heard, it was a dispute over a shot clock. Yeah, some contract issues. Just what was in the contract and... Yeah, playing with the shot clock, not playing the shot clock. I, to me, if I'm Illinois, I, I remember talking to Coach Melnati and joking with them about their schedule because their schedule's tough to begin with. And now you're going to go play La La Mir. I just wouldn't even touch a, a um, school like prep that. school. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but no doubt about it. Um, uh, Joe's or sorry, George's second question was why not do a Super Twenty Five for toughest schedules played? Um, because I think that would be boring to a lot of people, George. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting to know, though, some of the schedules that teams play. Uh, I mean, you look at a Morgan Park and who they have beaten or, or the schedule Fenwick has played, and then you look at Fenwick's schedule, uh, or I mean, Fenwick's record right now. Uh, it is interesting because I, I, I slightly disagree with saying it's boring. I would never do it, but just because in college basketball it's such a huge deal, schedule strength. Strength of schedule. Well, I mean, and, that's what the rankings are based on, is who's beating the most teams in a good schedule. But, Mike, no one has your magical book uh, that they can – I mean, nobody – especially now with the lack of media coverage, it is hard to keep track of teams and their quality wins and who they played and their schedules. And uh, that's what I mean. I, I, I think it's interesting for some to, to just say, oh, wow. I mean – That's yeah, true. I, and props I, to the Daily Herald because if you're in their coverage area, it's all right there. Yeah, and, and it's just really difficult over the years. It's gotten worse and worse in terms of that. And even for myself, I, I try to piece together the sectional seedings, which are out in another week or so, and it, it's become difficult to do so because I tend to look at schedule strength, I think, more so than high school coaches do. I think high school coaches, not everybody, continue to look at the win totals over – who they've played, who they've beaten. And, um, you know, that there are some times where you're 19 and two and the 16 and six team is clearly better than the 19 and two team. Um, and schedule, (laughs) and schedule strength is the reason why. And I think it's kind of lost one because it's not reported all that much unless you really, really follow some of the stuff we write or, you know, you're, you're just so in tune with one specific team. All right, next question is from Curtis Powell. Good afternoon. Justin Evanston fan wanting to know what you guys think of Evanston's chances of running the table in the remaining regular season games and the 4A playoffs. Simeon and the CSL title game versus Deerfield are upcoming. What do the kits have to do to move up in the rankings? Will beating Simeon be an upset, or do you think Evanston might be the better team right now? Well, I think Evanston should be ranked number one right now. Just put them number one. Curtis, this is a good question. I mean, yeah, no, but let's not get – yes, Evanston beating Simeon would be an upset. Um, but they, uh, the other questions, yes, I think – I think – did we did we have a bet early in the pro- – I think we had an early bet, Mike. We did. That Evanston would not run the table in the CSL South. I think uh, it was a number of losses. I think I had them at six, and you had under. I think it was run the table as well. We had some Evanston bets. We're yeah, I thought back, it was but, like number of uh, 
Lost. Uh, but I think I'm gonna win both bets either Most way. Likely, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they're gonna run the table. I don't think I like uh, Deerfield a lot, but Evanson is a better. Evanson is. I, I I think Evanson is better than some people, including yourself. Not saying they should be ranked higher, but I think they are a little better than a lot of people think because I, I don't want to say they're an acquired taste. Yes, they have the star, no Jelly Eastern, but they're, they've gotten much better defensively over the course of the year. They have interchangeable parts. They, they, they just play a different way, and I, I think they're disciplined. I think they're well-coached. I think... Uh, that's going to be a factor in March. Now, the Elijah Williams thing, I keep harping about that. They, they don't have any size, and that that really hurts, um, particularly on the glass and the boards. Just having a body. Elijah Williams has a foot injury. He's uh, been out. Now he's not expected back anytime soon. So, But I, I do think Evanston runs a table in the league. Um, no, but he wanted to know the, regu- the rest of the season. He doesn't really care about the league. If that Simeon game... Um, and then the Deerfield title, you answered that one. Do you think they, yeah, they beat Deerfield? Beat Simeon? I mean, I think they played 10 times. Simeon wins seven or eight of them. Uh, but that leaves, <laughs> you know, a chance for Evanston to beat Simeon. I, I, um, I, I just, when there's just no dominating team, I, there, there's very, very rare times where, where I just think a team's invincible. And I don't see us, even when they're playing at their highest level. When I th- and that's why I did the whole Belleville all tough Morgan part. When those two teams are playing at their highest level, I think they are in this particular season are almost impossible to beat. Um, you know, I've seen some teams play at their high, highest level and play well and either get beat or almost get beat at the buzzer or whatever it might be. But no, I mean Simeon wins by eight. Yeah, I mean Simeon's the favorite. I do think though it's a it's a good matchup. Um, for Evanston, because Simeon's issues the same thing, you know, the size. They, they have some, but it hasn't been very effective. You know, Simeon's not going to be able to kill Evanston on the boards, generally. So that'll be nice. Um, Evanston won't be, you know, intimidated by Simeon's depth or anything. So it, it should be a good close game. And, and to answer Curtis's question, that's what they have to do to move up the rankings. I mean, you have to beat somebody above you. At, at this yeah, and the other year. thing with Evanston, when Nogel Eastern is a becomes ultra assertive yeah they they do rise up a little bit because you saw that in the Whitney young game where he he, he has these I mean by nature he is a table setting make those around him better player and I like that about him but at the high school level right now for who he is it's a fine line but he's got to cross it and become that guy and he did it on a couple of occasions in the Whitney Young game where he did, you know, Whitney Young closed the game a couple of weeks ago, and I think Nochel ran off like seven or eight straight points. And then you saw a little bit more passive play. So, yeah, when he's playing at a high level, they're also a little bit different team too. Yeah, high school basketball is kind of easy in some ways. When teams are fairly close, the team with the better player usually wins a good 80% of the time. And there aren't too many players better than Nogel Eastern in the state, so high ceiling for Evanston. Moving on, this question's from Reed. I think it's the first it's a first time question asker here on No Shot Clock. He says, Great show, I listen every week. Where do you think Alonzo Verge will end up? Proviso East, Proviso West, St. Joe's. <laughs> I'll say Proviso West. Um yeah, I have I don't know, Reed. Um 
I think Proviso West would be the easy pick, but I think we could probably be surprised too. <laughs> I think it's going to be, I'm not saying that because I have any inside information. I'm not sure, you know, his family's even decided yet um, or knows what's going to happen. It's probably going to be quite the derby <laughs> over the uh, spring months. Um, second question. What are your feelings on a kid that reclassifies in seventh grade and then moves away to Kentucky for eighth grade and comes back as a 16 year old freshman playing on varsity? Is he really better than everyone or is he finally playing with his correct grade? Yes. I'm referring to Marquise Walker at St. Joseph. Um, there, there's something to be said regardless of all, I don't even care about the age. But there is something to be said, and this is strictly as a evaluator, college prospect type of thing. There is something to be said about early developed uh, physical players and their ceilings and upside and things like that. He is, anybody has seen him, he is, doesn't look like your typical freshman. He is strong, he's physical, he looks mature. And, you know, he, that, that, it's not always the case, but a lot of times projection-wise, they do tend to, and you can go over historically, they do tend to plateau a little bit more than some of the late bloomers who we hardly are talking about right now. Yeah, no, definitely. I would, um, and I think this is a question worth addressing because I've heard it a few times. I've had people ask me about it on, on different things and in person. Um, first off, the reclassification and the moving to Kentucky to play. For those of you that don't know, Marquise Walker, I wrote a big story about it last year. Marquise Walker, when he was in eighth grade, moved to Kentucky to play high school basketball for a year. Because in Kentucky, you can play high school basketball when you're still in junior high, you know, if you're good enough. So he went and did that, played a whole season of varsity, and then moved back to the area and went to St. Joe's. Um, I would say I have absolutely no problem with either the reclassification or that move because it was his family's decision. And it's not some rogue coach doing this or some street agent or this and that. This was his family that decided to do this. And that's their business, um, how they want to raise their kid and what they want to do. And they're not breaking any rules. So I'm totally fine with it. Um, The second part, you know, playing on varsity, is he really better than everyone? Or is he finally playing with his correct grade? Well, there is no such thing as correct grade in high school basketball. I mean, a large majority of kids over the years, especially in the city, have been different ages than their grade traditionally would be, um, if that makes sense. The rule is you cannot play high school basketball if you are going to turn 20 during the season. That's it. So other than that, it doesn't really matter high school basketball-wise. As Joe said, it does matter as far as a recruiting evaluation, how much you're going to improve. You know, that's one of the reasons Jabari Parker and um, Jalil Okafor, I believe as well, you know, they were, Jabari was pretty young for his traditional grade and Jalil was about the normal age. So, you know, that's one reason they get projected to be so good, you know, not just because they they were obviously very good, but they weren't just older kids. So, I mean, to make a long answer short here, after I've already made it a long answer, I'm generally fine with all this. It it was his dad's decision. He's doing what he thinks best for his kid. Sure, I agree. I mean, if people want to disagree with it, they don't think it's the right move for their kid, then they can disagree with it. But um, if, if it's what a family wants to do, I mean, I, I, who's for anybody else to say so? Yeah. 
Um, next question. Another first timer here, Steve Johnson. I, I believe he says, I look forward to the podcast every week. And this, um, bit of a compliment Joe and I will like, cause we worry about this more than I think you guys would realize. He says, nice job covering so many different teams. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Evanston podcast, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we do our best. Um, he, uh, his question is, you know, uh, his first one, how many teams have been in and out of your super 25 this year? Seems like a lot. And I think he's right. A lot more than last year and the year before. I, I do think though, it's, it's tapered off now a bit. Um, after a pretty wild first couple months, we seem to have what used to happen and just the bottom two or three are changing which I like to do. You know, I could even keep some of them in, but I think they're all pretty much the same, so I like to get some fresh blood in there. I think everybody deserves a shot if they're all, you know, about the same record, about the same number of quality wins. So I, I think we've tapered off a bit, and, and we're not going to have an all-time number. I think I've had years now with this many, thinking back to a couple of years. I remember especially that first year when the classes split. A lot of teams were in and out that year. But, yeah, it has been a lot overall. Um, second question is for Joe, because he was, uh, he says, I believe you attended the Naperville North Bloomington game. What did you think of the game and the matchup of Charles Payton from Bloomington and Mitch Lewis from Naperville North? You know, it's a game that you go into and, and you're not overly excited because of, if you walk in, there's about 52 people there oh, geez. in a great big, huge gym, That's East Aurora gym. So <laughs> that, that, that immediately, the gym's awesome though. So that's one of my favorite gyms, but it, 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 it was one of my pleasant surprises of the year because the game was very good. Um, it was up and down. It was pretty high scoring, 78, 76, something like that. But Charles Payton, who anybody who's seen him, if, if you had to, if you had to rank the greatest high school basketball athlete in the state, Charles Payton could be number one. He is an electric athlete off the floor. And he did that unbelievably, <laughs> at an unbelievable level. I, I think he had, I didn't count, but I bet he had at least eight dunks. Uh, he had probably unofficially nine or ten blocks. And he just, but that's what he does. And the skill level still, it's a high flying wire act, but the skill level was non-existent. And he's a six five, six six tweener. But yeah, he he was he was electric. And he is a big time, he's a top ten prospect in the class based on what I just said. He is the arguably the best athlete in the entire state. Uh Mitch Lewis was was very good. He he's injury plague season. He's the best player on that team, best prospect on that team. Six five, versatile, can play outside. He's gotten a lot bigger and stronger. Uh, he had, I think he had 22 or 23 points. Peyton had 25. Uh, they were both very good. Naperville North is going to be a, a, a one to watch in March. They are a sleeper for sure in that East Aurora sectional. And Bloomington, their, their, their speed, athleticism, second chance scoring opportunities was a difference in, in that win, a tight win over Naperville North. Yeah, I really enjoyed Bloomington at uh, Pontiac quite a bit. Um, they are a fun team to watch. And that was one of those games where, from a rankings perspective, playing that close game against Bloomington, even though they lost, it was kind of a solidifier for me with Naperville North of their spot, you know, lower there in the Super 25. You know, not all losses are bad. I thought that was a pretty good loss for them um, as far as the Super goes. So next question, a uh, good friend of the podcast, Ronell Chapman. 
The Catholic League tournament has left me scratching my head over the last couple of years. There's been a lot of parody in the league this year, but if you had to pick one underdog to run through the field leaving everyone shocked like we've seen the past few years, who would it be and why? And who is your favorite out of the top seeds? Well, I mean, the favorite out of the top seeds is, I mean, you have to go with Fenwick. They've they've done everything that you could ask that team to do this year. So they're clearly my top team, and they're the top seed. And I think, I think they, well, oh my god, think about this for a second. He's right because that tournament is wacky. Yeah, is produced some weird results over the years. Uh, this is the third year of the Catholic tournament since it came back. Yeah, is this the best Catholic league team of those three years, Fenwick, or no? You've had a Saint, a really good Saint Rita no, team. No, Joe's was better last year. Oh yeah, you're right. Well, yeah. And you know, Rita was too. Who? I think Rita and Joe's were better than Fenway. Yeah, yeah. Um, the overall depth of the league, though, is not. It's down know. significantly. Right. So that's why it lends me to believe that this will be the year that the yeah. top seed gets through and does it. And as far as finding a sleeper, I don't know who you're sleeper would be um to win it like i mean but see i can't remember i mean i know providence made that run they lost in the final to who didn't they lose in the final no they won it they won it yeah. who they beat fenway That's i think right. um so we've had i don't know who the sleeper would be that that can realistically De go dealer sale won the year before i believe right but I can't see someone going and beating St. Joe's and Fenwick. Plus, you're going to have to beat St. Joe's at St. Joe's in the semis. Um, if I had to pick a sleeper, I guess I'll say Mount Carmel. But I, I don't. I, I don't see a super sleeper in there. Yeah, I like. Um, I agree with. Uh, well, first of all, I agree with Joe very much. So that. It's definitely the year in which one team is way better than the rest, like we haven't seen before. So it does feel like that will maybe keep the sleeper from winning, but I don't know. I just don't think – I think it's too tough to get Fenwick up for all these games. You know, they have other bigger games coming up. I, I don't know. Um, I like – as far as sleepers go, I think there's a lot of interesting sleeper picks. Um but do you see a Fenwick losing to a De La Salle Seton winner? Yeah. Do you I, really? I, I think they could just drop a, a bomb in this somewhere just because that's it is what it's happened in this. I mean, it's just kind of the way it's gone. And they're not deep. And he's gonna there's gonna be other games that, you know, he might be saving some people. I just I have to see more of a buy in from the coaches. Wait, sa- saving people. Yeah, well, that's what happened last time. They played five guys, man. <laughs> well, no, that's what happened last time. And the fin- he, um, Ricky and I, I, I just look at like a Providence last year, and I think Providence. I know we had our Providence argument last yeah. start debate last year, but even whatever you want to say about Providence is is a better team than. Yeah, but they like had to beat Dillis better teams. They, they had they had to beat better teams. Um, these teams won't as long once Fenwick is gone. You know who knows what could happen. I like. That's what I'm saying. I don't see anybody beating. I don't see those teams beating them because they're so far below what Fenwick is this year. Yeah, I mean, I could see a way in which Loyola slows the game down to like 
30 possessions total. Against Fenwick? Yeah. They just played him. That makes it even more likely. Yeah. Um, Wasn't it a 35-point game? Yeah, probably. But, yeah, exactly. So the Fenwick kids have got to get up to whoop Loyola again. You know, that, that's not easy to do, especially with <laughs> high school kids. And that's I think that, that's what's led to this tournament having so much of that happen. You know, it, it's just a difficult thing to do to get a team back up to play someone they've already beaten, blah, blah, blah. Um, I would look at the Seton-DePaul game, first-round game, or maybe that's the second round in this, the way this weird thing is. Yeah, it's a second rounder. I would like the team that got out of that. And even more so, the team who won, the winner of that plays De La Salle. And whoever wins that game, I think, would be the strongest case to maybe be able to deal with the top three. Um, yeah, I agree with all that. That whole grouping of teams, De La Salle, Seton, DePaul College Prep. Yeah. Uh, I just wish they were playing. For upset purposes, I would think I would think a better chance of occurring if they were playing St. Joe's. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, but I've had trouble even drawing out this bracket. And, you know, one of, it was going to be one of our takes, Joe and I, um, also. You know, this thing, it looks like basically all of February is just stacked with consolation bracket games. This game, this tournament has like a four or five game guarantee. There is actually a semifinal for the 17th place game that is going to be played. And I don't know who's going to come watch these things um or who's interested in all of it but I think i'll be surely writing a preview on it it's a it's <laughs> i mean it's a messy thing and as a coach i mean i know coaches want games and stuff and I, I i guess that's why they're doing this but how do you tell your kids how do you get them up for a late february 17th place game i uh, against what could be a familiar foe as yeah. well that you've already beaten uh, or something yeah oh. and there's a chance with so many teams that you're gonna play new teams but it's still Catholic League games in a consolation bracket in February. And there is, I don't know, Mike and I were talking about it right before we went started the podcast. Just some, I don't know, I, 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 there's so many teams. It's just a weird setup for the league, the divisions, the, the whole thing. And from the outside looking in, I don't think it's healthy or appealing. And, but I don't know, I haven't put enough time into it, I guess, to examine it and come up with the ideal breaking down of the Catholic League. Uh, I just, there has to be something better than, than this 10 team, one division, 10 team, the other division, tiny schools playing big schools. Um, this tournament that's a hodgepodge of, of consolation games after the first week of play and those are the those are your games leading up to yeah state tournament that that, that is the key point february is about games getting more and more important and the team getting better and better and preparing for the do or die march and run keep, and, and keeping them at a high level yeah. intensity wise practice wise everything so but for good teams they're going to be playing their biggest conference games over the next over the final weeks you know that's the whole point of the regular season. The regular season is just to get ready for the playoffs. It's high school basketball. We all make the playoffs. And to me, if you end up losing, even if you're losing in the, you know, second round here, which some good teams will, you're going to wind up in this weird nether world of. Well, you're a quarter of your season is kind of lost from mainstream high school basketball. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it'll be interesting to see some coaches, because we were talking about it 
before if there has been this many consolation games in previous years. And I know they've added teams to the Catholic League, but I don't we don't we didn't recall it being like this. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. I, I guess what I'm saying is to talk to some of the coaches post tournament and what it was like playing in the Catholic consolation tournament. <laughs> world yeah it's you know they've, the catholic league basically has to figure things out every year things change and they're not sure what the best thing is to do so we'll see how this goes but it doesn't look promising um moving on here a lot of questions uh joe robinson first time podcast question asker says hi guys great shows our great show his first question what are your typical routines before during after the games you cover what notes do you focus on taking um, these are, I'm sure, very different for us, and I guess we've never talked about this. Um, well, Mike's doing <laughs> the uh, game story. Um, obviously, different. He is busy. Keep. I'll even if I'm in the same game. Sometimes I'll bug him for a stat. But uh, you know, I, I mean, mine has changed over the years. Uh, I used to write down all these strengths and weaknesses of individual players, and I don't know if it's, I'm just getting older or <laughs> what, but. Uh, I do take a lot of notes when I get home, actually, um, on, on what I saw that night as far as individual players uh, and sometimes teams. But um, during the game, it, it, you know, I, you, you do bounce, depending on the game, depending where you're at, I do a lot of bouncing around trying to talk to different people that are in the gym. Uh, but as far as, no, you know, I don't, I don't do the same as Mike does, obviously, with the game story. Uh, my typical routine, I like to get there an hour early. Um, it's kind of a news person thing. I like to talk to people before. I like to see, you know, kind of the build up. Sometimes you'll get some good stuff for your story in that. So I'm almost always, if it's in the suburbs, I'm getting there way earlier and sitting around in my car or whatever to beat traffic. But yeah, I like to show up wherever I am an hour early. During the game, I keep um, the stats. I keep a running total of, you know, what play just happened, what that made the score, and then individual stats for shots you know shots missed rebounds steals blocks um assists are difficult for me because i'm keeping everything else and it usually is until about the midpoint of the year until i can do that it's kind of like any like an athlete i guess the game slows down for you a little bit (laughs) by the middle of the year and i can get unless it's you know a public league 90 to 94 game then good luck keeping um you just can't you can't write down the rebound, the missed shot, and what happened and the before the next score. So it's physically impossible to get the assist down. So I've, assists are the one thing I have trouble with. Um, sometimes, you know, when it's going to be important, point guard's the star player, this or that, I will focus on him and try to make sure I at least get his assists. Um, but that So that's the difficult stat for me. Um, and that's it as far as notes for me. I am... Um, I kind of I know a lot of reporters will write down key moments. Sometimes I'll circle something or star something on my running total, but I generally remember that pretty well. Um, I'll make some notes occasionally if somebody's fouling out or that kind of thing. Um, after the game, you know, I got to talk to the coaches, write my story, and I put it online myself now. And so all of that's done before I leave the gym, um, and then I head home. That's the. Uh, and then if I still have the energy, I'd do the notebook. Apologies to everyone because I didn't do it Friday and Saturday. I wasn't feeling real well, so no no notebook. Um, next question. I feel, I feel like we get this question once a month. 
What are your thoughts on the MSL, uh, the Mid-Suburban <laughs> League? The league seems to be declining in talent and performance. Are you seeing the same decline, and what would you attribute that decline to? Yeah, we need a like a play button. <laughs> yeah, we could just hit MSL Fuck. button. <laughs> Gosh. And it's not to... I don't want to discourage my... I, they had a again. I feel like we're repeating ourselves, but they had a great run uh, from you know the '80s, the '90s, and even the Schaumburg teams and the Hoffman Estates team that went down state. And but yeah, it's just really. Uh, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to kill it, but it, it's just really been kind of bad. And um, you know, I, I do like this Conant team. I, I think. I seem to always like Conant teams just because Tom McCormick, I think, is one of the best in the business. Uh, and he takes a lot of times – he has talent sometimes, but a lot of times some very average talent and, and puts together 18, 19 win seasons. So I do like the Conant team. Uh, I think they're the, they're the cream of the crop in the mid-suburban league. I, I believe they're going to win the West, and I think they'll beat anybody that's in the East – I think prospect is leaving the East, but yeah, I, I like Conant. I think Conant will. They've got some some veterans on that team. They've also got some good young talent on that team. That I think, uh, and uh, again, the, the the coaching part I think is is a huge factor in their style of play that they do, the discipline they play with. So what? I mean, yeah, I agree with Joe here. Yeah, the league is declining in talent and performance. What do we attribute it to? I mean that's a great question. I I don't know. Yeah, because it's a long it's long it's not just a cycle right now because it's become the la- I mean that from team that went 25 Last, and yeah. I mean but they weren't great. That's, that's Grays Lake North now. Uh well Palatine was better than Grays Lake North. Or Palatine from was better than Grays Lake North. I know that for sure. But no, I mean but in their world they're just beating everybody. And right. And they leave I, I just haven't uh, – you usually have like a two- or three-year down cycle is what I'm saying, and this is a little – extends beyond that from top to bottom in the league. So that's when you start to wonder, okay, then what is going on? Um, are enrollments changing? Are uh, other sports taking kids away? Or All these things, which I'm not – as in tune with with the Mid-Suburban I mean, League. The Hoffman Estates and Schaumburg lost their longtime very good coaches. Yes. And they were two of the powers. So yes. you could think that maybe in Conan, And even the even the Schaumburg replacement coach Walsh was was really was good. Was good, yeah. He, he's no longer there. Um so that could be an issue. Um for sure. But, but I just that, I just yeah. mean even the and, and this is me as the evaluator sends out scouting stuff to all levels of college coaches, division three on up. There has been a lack of high level division. Cause that used to be a big time, big time producer of division three talent, which usually means you're having some really good high school players. Mm-hmm. And even in recent years, there's still been some very good D three kids have come out of there, but not the amount. I mean, they used to be a, a, the lifeblood of, of a lot of Division three conferences and schools. And it it hasn't even produced high-level Division three players in abundance over the last few years. So I don't know. That's a tough thing to answer 
Um, I, I, are these kids in the East Suburban Catholic? Well, that's another question. You know, are they going to St. Viator? Are they going to... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't... Yeah, but that's why that it's no different than it used to be. I mean, are more kids, as you're saying, are yeah, more that, that basketball my, players going? Because the East Suburban Catholics rise has coincided with the Mid-Suburban Leagues down. Yeah. that That's why I'm one. I'm just totally thinking off the top of my head here. I have not looked into this, but I, I, I mean. mean you have to look at, you know, Niles, Notre Dame, but that. I mean, Notre Dame has been pretty good for a while, though. I mean, and the mid suburban's been pretty bad for a while. But I mean, even even during the heyday of of um, the mid suburban league, Niles Notre Dame was still pretty formidable program. Went downstate, and I can't remember when that was. Um, but uh, Saint Viator, I'm trying to think of the schools up there. That's all. That's the whole mid suburban. Yeah, you know? that's about it. Uh, Nazareth, maybe might somebody might go over there. I don't know. Oh, uh, Carmel, Mundelein Carmel. Yeah, um, B- Bennett. Totally possible. There's some Bennett kids, um, but who knows? Yeah, we, we don't know. Um, it, it's weird, and it is too bad because that is an area that would get some great crowds for games that I enjoyed going to um, quite a bit. I, I mean, there was plenty of years when I did not, I never missed Schomburg Hoffman. You know, that was a regular stop on my calendar. Mm-hmm. every year no matter what you know even if they weren't in the super 25 they were good enough they were close you know and the crowd would be great it'd be fun so we don't know exactly i don't know if anyone does um next question is interesting to me um which coaches do the best job of adapting their strategies to fit the players on their rosters conversely which coaches do the best job of molding their players into the same system every year i had trouble with the first part i don't know what you thought of well Joe. I will tell you, Mike emails me all the questions that usually when they come in, and for whatever reason, I did not see this one, so oh. I'm completely <laughs> at a loss. Of uh, top of my head, though, I, I can think of. Uh, so, what coaches? High school coaches generally don't. <laughs> they mold the the team into their strategy they prefer. I would say eighty percent at least of the time, maybe more. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's just so different in high school because you're not. There's no free agent signings and there's no recruiting. Well, <laughs> I guess. What, what game are you? Uh, city <laughs> limits. Uh, Joe's still where, in that little ten tournament. Before. Where you can mold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can mold uh, Morgan Park into what you want, or a Kenwood, or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean. I like the Tom McCormick's of the world at Conant. They they have a specific style that they play with and won with, and you're usually getting at these high schools for the most part a certain type of kid. And there are some schools that have our they have athletes. Uh, there are some that that just don't aren't real athletic, and there's some that are a mixture. But um, specific names, I mean. I just think you go with the coaches that you think are are, are good and, and what they do with what they have. Yeah, and I, I think it's an interesting question because it's just not something I see a lot. You know, you don't see the coaches. I mean, I think Bob Curran, somebody I saw who's just changed the way he coaches, he's let this Lincoln Way Central team, you know, just play so much looser and run more than his great Thornwood teams, which I thought, you know, he molded into the way he wanted to play. 
So there's one change I, I just thought of. You know, it was nice to see. I think that's a problem a lot of times. I, I think I can could come up with a lot of teams where they shouldn't be playing, in my opinion, the style that the coach has them playing. And that leads to problems a lot. And a lot of times that's why we see underachieving. Um, with but it's also, you, you've seen different programs where coaches come in and created a specific style and culture. And I... Yeah, the, the so, second point is easy. Which coaches do the best job of molding their players into the same system every year? I mean, you. I know Maine South has been a a topic on our podcast over the years, but there, I mean, that's you 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 give credit where credit is due for a program that's they they win with a specific style that they grow up with in that program, and it is a hard style to play against whether you're a good team or a bad team playing that team. And to hit their credit, Coach LaRoyal's credit, they have won a lot of games. You can talk about who they schedule, whatever, I don't care. He still goes to Proviso West. He still plays in a good basketball league. And they've had a lot of success. And they've won some postseason games. And it is all because of what we're just talking about, um, a, a specific style that they play at Maine South. Yeah, the, the best right now, and it's, if he continues coaching high school basketball, it's going to become legendary on his current pace. It's Nick Irvin, without a doubt. The formula is simple. Three guards. He always has three. Or four. Th- three, no, three on the court. He doesn't play with four on the court. There's no, but he, 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 you, you, he has three they guards always on the court. have a guy on the bench that could usually inter- I mean, start over one of the three that are on the floor. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they don't this year. Well, well, no. Um, three guards and then two guys who are just going to rebound like their life depends on it. They are not post scorers generally. They're not going to get the ball in the post unless it's a rebound. That's Nick Irvin's formula. Three guards and two guys that their only mission in life is to rebound. And that's what all of these teams have had that he's been so successful. I mean, you know the names of the guards right off. You know, it was right away the first year. It was Marquis Williams and um, Billy, Billy Garrett, Garrett. and um, uh, Kyle Davis. Uh, Johnson was the first year. Terry Johnson. Then Kyle Davis came in to replace um, Terry Johnson, and then Jaron Randall. Um, we, we can go through them all. You know, Jaron Randall, Marcus Lavette. You know, this year Io Dusumu came in. You know, it's always three guards and the two rebounders, and they they have backups on the bench, and those backups do the same thing. You know, they come in and they're shooting threes if it's the guards. Cam Irvin is the fourth guard pretty much now. They've got some others that are okay, but this style has been so effective, and it is t- kind of unique. You know, I when I think of other teams that play that style, three guards, they don't care how big they are, how small they are, and two guys that just rebound. I can't come up with a team that does that exact thing. I mean, can you? Everyone just no, thinks, thinks uh, Morgan Park, they're just running. You know, they're, they're not. And, and one of the two rebounding guys you're talking about, they also have, usually always have that one junkyard dog wing, doesn't really have a true position guy. And this is that's Jamal Burton right now. Lamont Walker uh, prior to that. But, yeah, I mean, but – Again, when you go to Morgan Park, you know exactly what you're getting yourself into and what you what what you have to do to get on the court. Uh, and it's not even the style to me; it's their. And we talked about it a lot. 
their 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 energy they play with. There's just nobody that matches on a day to day basis the energy that Nick Irvin's teams play with. It's just they might play as hard, but nobody ever plays harder. And I I I, I haven't seen anyone in a long time since maybe maybe the Westinghouse teams with Chris Head that had continuously have played at this pace, this the, energy. Well, Lamont Bryant's good teams did. The Bever- yeah, Beverly yeah. and his, right, his right. Darius Gators. Uh, hair. Right, you're right. Yeah. Uh, but every night out, and no matter who you're playing, uh, they they don't kind of, they don't they don't play around with teams. They just they just go out and do it, and and that's what makes them unique. Yeah, one of the like interesting now because Simeon Robert Smith they prefer to go through the post. The offense run that that's how Robert Smith, you know, that's how Bob Hambrick coached. The offense runs through the post. That's how Tim Flowers won state titles. Interestingly, the 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 non-Jabari, non-Derrick Rose team that won the state title, they did it because it was Russell Woods. Um remember him yeah. that year? He finally came on yeah. at the end. And it's been interesting without that pure post guy, Simeon hasn't been quite as dominant as the other years. And you you notice Simeon's always bringing in a post, you know, to try and keep that going. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that next year. But uh, we should get moving. Another coach who X and O's wise that does navigate towards personnel is Rick Malnati at at, at Fenwick. Um, he, He does a good job of that, depending on the personnel he has. I mean, this year is a prime example. Um, next question, which teams have you enjoyed seeing the most this year? Um, I had some great, uh, Morgan. I mean, I, I really, it's easy to say that they're the number one team, but Morgan park to me is, is the most fun team to watch in the Chicago area. See, I enjoy kind of the other, t- I really enjoyed watching Lindblom on, uh, last week. I've been looking forward to seeing them. They'd had a nice season. The kids played hard. There were some interesting kids on that team. It was an exciting game in the Lincoln Park gym and the CPS playoffs. I thought they were a lot of fun to watch. Um, early in the year, I really enjoyed that first game with Downers South. They played with so much passion, which seems to have dissipated <laughs> over the course yeah, of the fizzle. year, uh, which is too bad. They, they initially stuck out, and I know I already talked about them, but um, – this Geneva team, they had something, you know, they had the switches on with these kids and I don't think they took a bad shot all day. They played so hard. Um, so I, I had a good week with a lot, two teams I really enjoyed. I've I only, I've only seen Deerfield a game and a half, but I really liked Deerfield's team that, that the sharing of the ball, yeah. uh, their spacing, their, just the things that they do, the whole some greater than parts yeah. thing going that they got, uh, I really like that Deerfield team, watching them play the game of basketball. Um, which conference do you think would be the most fun to root for a team in, and why? What's I don't get it. What is... What's the what, most fun conference? Oh. Um, I'll go. Um, I think the North Suburban Lake this season would be really fun. A lot really? Of, a lot of teams that are good. Um you know, even Libertyville's tough. Lake Zurich is tough. It's I think they're all pretty close um, in talent level this year. So I think that'd be enjoyable. Yeah. Um, the Upstate Eight River, big crowds up there, good teams. You know, we're seeing Geneva and Batavia, who were supposed to be taking a back seat. You know, to Larkin and St. Charles East, they've kind of risen up. I think a lot of fun basketball there, for sure. Those are. The I'll probably go east. I'll remember. probably go east suburban Catholic. I just, uh, I, I, I. I 
the, the, I thought Notre Dame would win the league, or uh, Marion Catholic, and right now Marion Catholic still has a shot, but boy, did they play bad when I saw them play. Uh, yeah, see, um, that, that was part of my thing, most fun. The travel distances are ridiculous, so that would be horrible as a fan. Try yeah, to- but they do have some good crowds in those gyms. They do, but having to get some of those distances at 7 o'clock on a weeknight, ugh, brutal. One of my criteria for that question was, can't have crazy travel distances. You can't have to go through Chicago at six o'clock. Then it's no longer fun. For uh, me. We're going travel distance. <laughs> yeah. I'm going upstate, upstate river. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just go up and down the Fox river and you're there. Exactly. It sounds like a lot of fun. You don't got to deal with any traffic. Um, all right. Um, you know, we're going to cut it off here. We got a couple questions, but they're going to be able to hold for next week. We're already well over this hour mark. So we'll get to the rest next time. Um, Quick look at the week ahead, real fast, Joe. Anything you want to hit? Um, uh, I mean, I'm just focused on the longest. We could have a record-breaking podcast. Yeah, yeah, I think we're already over it. That's why um, <laughs> we got the Public League second round, Bogan Curie, which I'm not as excited about as most people are. Um, vocational Kenwood should be good. Um Friday's down. I think I might actually go out and see Prairie Ridge and Grays Lake North. See some new teams. Conant and Fremd play. Um, not a lot of ranked matchups on Friday. Saturday, we got the CPS quarterfinals. Some decent games. Glenbard West, Tinsdale Central, you know, St. Pat's and Conant play, which is a nice, interesting game. But not a lot of marquee matchups this week, except for the CPS playoffs. You know, the Catholic League quarters are on Sunday. Um, so that'll be before we podcast again. Those should be interesting. Lake Forest is also at Notre Dame on Sunday. An interesting one. But schedule's up on the website. Check it out. There should be a good game near you. And um, thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.